one of my favorite musicians is a very quirky, I know you're really surprised that I like quirky music, a very quirky Jewish singer called Regina Spector. She has a new haunting song called Laughing With, where she talks about the ways that we've twisted God into a genie who grants wishes or into someone who doesn't care about suffering. Then she names the ways that people want to experience God and all the hardships of life. Her song begins, No one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one laughs at God when the doctor calls after some routine tests. No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not back from that party yet. No one laughs at God when their airplane starts to uncontrollably shake. No one's laughing at God when they see the one they love hand in hand with someone else and they hope they're mistaken. No one laughs at God when the cops knock on their door and say, we've got some bad news, sir. No one's laughing at God when there's a famine, fire, or flood. It's heavy stuff. The Israelites weren't laughing at God. Their existence was one defined by hardship. In fact, one of the first times we even hear about the Israelites is when they're in slavery in Egypt. Often the Israelites are viewed by Christians today as people who just complained a lot, never followed God like they should have, thus proving the need for our Redeemer. I think there's more to their story. We should remember that this is a community marked by suffering and oppression. They certainly weren't laughing at God. They were crying out to God. We wouldn't say to victims of genocide in Darfur that they complained too much. We wouldn't blame Romanians for feeling a bit abandoned by God and their neighbors in this place. So we have to approach the story of this radical community like we would any other marginalized people, with humility and compassion. It's often said that the story of the Israelites, and even of the Old Testament as a whole, is one of overwhelming violence. Sometimes we avoid the Old Testament altogether, except where we use it to point to Jesus because of this. But maybe we avoid the story of this people for the same reason we avoid eye contact with homeless people or are able to become comfortable with war. When we face these things, we are forced to face conflict in our own lives, to wrestle with issues of injustice both experienced and participated in. We are not comfortable in the presence of great suffering. And so we are not comfortable with the story of the people of Israel. But our faith is not a comfortable one. The story of this radical community isn't just meant to point us to the New Testament. 
We like to do this because it means we get to skip over the complex, ugly, don't make sense parts. But we can't do this with life. With life, we're meant to look for hope in the middle of the messiness. Or to do this because God didn't engage with humanity in an easy, comfortable way. God broke in to a broken community and stirred up transformation within it. Christianity is not a faith of escapism. It's a faith of radical incarnation. And so we must engage with the story of this radical community. For in their story, we discover a people desperately trying to make meaning of their lives and of God in desperate times. The story of the people of Israel is one that's hard to get our head around because it's one of contradiction. They were God's very own chosen people, but they were despised by pretty much everyone else. This text describes God's love for the most vulnerable, bringing justice for the orphan and the widow and giving the stranger food and clothing. In choosing Israel, God is choosing a nation of strangers, a nation where war and slavery has created orphans and widows. So while this community was plagued by systemic injustice and oppression, despised and without a land of their own, they knew they were chosen by God. And they were chosen with a purpose. They were commanded to show the same love for the stranger that they had been shown by God. Let's take another look at our passage for this morning. It is a constant pattern of God's action demanding similar action from the people. God set God's heart and love on the people of Israel, and so they're told to circumcise the foreskin of their hearts. God executes justice for the orphan and widow and loves the strangers, providing for them food and clothing. So Israel is told, they shall love the stranger, for they were strangers in the land of Egypt. God has done awesome things that they've seen with their own eyes, and so they are told to worship God. God does, so they do. God does, so we do. This entire passage is a poetic movement between the actions of God mirrored in the actions of the community. Being chosen is no easy thing. It demands loving God with their entire being, heart, soul, and mind, because being chosen means that they are loved just as completely and more by God. I wonder if any of you are starting to get a bit uncomfortable that I've said chosen so many times. Chosenness makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. We have reason to be uncomfortable with the idea of chosenness. Listen to these words of some chosen people. I believe that I am acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. Who says I am not under the special protection of God? And another, 
But God knows he has given us an extremely difficult, complicated mission. I have seen his hand in history, and I see little miracles every day. He loves his people so much, he came to earth and walked among us and sacrificed himself for us to redeem his people. He will preserve his people. The first statement I read is from Adolf Hitler. The second statement is from a member of the white supremacy group, the Ku Klux Klan. Chosenness makes us nervous because it has been hijacked and used to point out who is unchosen. But in this passage, chosenness isn't about being superior, holier, or right. Chosenness here is about loving the stranger, providing justice for the orphan and the widow. Chosenness here is about a covenant relationship with God. The words, your God, occur eight times in these 11 verses. And so the identity of this radical community of Israel is grounded in the identity of God. Other communities of their day associated themselves with gods. It was not uncommon. The uncommon, the radical thing, was that this God also associated with these people. Yahweh did not have a one-way relationship. This was a covenant relationship. And that's what makes them a radical community. Within it were orphans, widows, and strangers are loved, and beyond it where the creator of the universe and the heavens loves them. Their core identity was that though they suffered, they were chosen by God. And not just any God, but a God who heard their cries and acted. God is, so they are. God is, so we are. Their identity as a community is entirely bound up in the identity of Yahweh. Now this radical community, chosen as they might be, were certainly not perfect. Even in this text, they're reminded in the Hebrew to stop hardening their necks, basically stop being so stubborn. They have to be reminded to pass on the kindness they've received from God to others. They have to be reminded to not just go through the motions. But the ways they mess up are not what defines them. Because everyone messes up. There is no particularity in calling one community sinners. We don't define people by what they've done wrong. Well, maybe we do, but I don't think God does. The lesson from the people of Israel then isn't about what not to do. From the radical community of Israel, we learn much. We learn how to openly face the things that make us not laugh of God the hardships of life that shake us to our core. We learn that in the midst of profound suffering, God works. We learn how to engage with people who are on the margins with patience and humility. We learn about covenant, 
about God setting God's heart on people in love and proclaim in the middle of life's messiness that we are heirs with Christ of that same covenant and that this makes a difference. We learn that God's gracious action towards us demands that we do the same. This radical community can help us look deeply at our own. Do we allow people to share their suffering and pain here? Or do we have to come with a happy face? Do we hold those who are marginalized at arm's length? Or do we radically engage with them? Is our identity defined by our minister or lack of one? By our style of worship, by our education or economic level, or by the God who chose and claims us. The radical community of the people of Israel can teach us much about humanity and God if we allow ourselves to radically engage with their history and all of its pain and joy. In doing so, we may just discover how God continues to work in our world. Next week, we're going to be learning from another radical community, the early church. So today, I challenge you. Sit at the feet of the people of Israel. Read their story again. When you come across uncomfortable passages, sit with them. Hear the voices of those involved and see how the Spirit is using them to shed light on your own suffering and on the suffering of others. Remember that you are in a covenant relationship with God who has entered into human suffering to bring healing and peace for all of eternity. May the Lord our God give us the courage to radically engage with God and respond to God's mighty acts among us through radical engagement with the other. Amen. Now I'm going to invite you to do something again a wee bit different. Um, we're going to actually, in response to what God has said to us, um, we're going to stand and we're going to say what we believe using words that are printed in your order of service just so that we hear it out loud so that it becomes real to us and actually impacts our life and there's some, I don't know, I think there's something powerful of a group of people from all backgrounds from all different things going on in their lives to stand up with one voice and say that we believe in God. So I invite you all to stand up. <clears throat> we trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba Father. In sovereign love, God created the world good and makes everyone equally in God's image, male and female, of every race and people, to live as one community. But we rebel against God. We hide from our Creator, ignoring God's commandments. We violate the image of God in others and ourselves. Accept lies as truth. Exploit neighbor and nature. 
and threatened death to the planet entrusted to our care. We deserve God's condemnation. Yet God acts with justice and mercy to redeem creation. In everlasting love, the God of Abraham and Sarah chose a covenant people to bless all families of the earth. Hearing their cry, God delivered the children of Israel from the house of bondage. Loving us still, God makes us heirs with Christ of the covenant. Like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child. Like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home. God is faithful still.